This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by UBCP ACTRA, a.k.a. the Union of British Columbia Performers. UBCP is an autonomous branch of the Alliance of Canadian Cinema, Television, and Radio Artists, the national organization of professional performers working in the English language recorded media in Canada. For more information about UBCP ACTRA, visit ubcpactra.ca. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart of the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Ronnie Firminger, and today... Well, today I am absolutely <laughs> delighted to welcome Durendra, one name, Durendra, to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Durendra is an accomplished actor whose career spans all manner of characters and genres and continents. I've only spoken with him a few times before, but each of those brief conversations revealed a depth of experience and insight that is otherwise unmatched in the local screen scene, with only a few exceptions. To contemporary audiences, Durendra might be best known as Imran, Subi's father on the groundbreaking and big-hearted CBC comedy, Sort Of. Sort Of is one of the few series in the history of television with a gender-fluid protagonist, Sabi Meboub, played with courage and conviction by series creator Bilal Baig. Imram arrives from Dubai at the beginning of the second season to quote-unquote fix Sabi. It's a role that could have easily been thankless and one-note, a villain with no empathy and nowhere to grow. But between the writing and Durendra's nuanced performance, Imram is an avatar for many parents who love their kids even when they don't understand them at all. A warning to those of you who have yet to experience sort of, yes, it's a comedy, but it has a lot of heart, a lot. Your eyes are going to leak. And Durendra is responsible for many, many of my tears. Durendra's lengthy list of credits includes The Bill, Casualty, Deadly Class, what a death you had on that one, eh? Da Vinci's Inquest, Lego Jurassic World, The Island of Isla Nublar, and the title character in the groundbreaking, yes, there is that word again, groundbreaking, the groundbreaking Jinnah on Crime was a series about a brilliant crime reporter at a Vancouver newspaper. Durendra is also a foodie, a world traveler, a wine man. We're literally drinking wine right now that he brought. Thank you, Durendra. A family man, a union man, and a lot of other things. A lot of other things, too. So today, let's peek behind the curtain and get to know the man behind the one name moniker. Durendra. Welcome oh, to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Sabrina, it's a privilege. It's uh, it's a pleasure. Wow. Have I done all of that really? Yeah. 
And so much more too. We were talking before I finally hit record. I'd only ha- I've only had one sip of this, and already I'm like blah 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 blah. Um, that you know, every you're constantly posting a photo or a story on your social media. I'm like, he worked on that. He worked with that person. What? So yeah, I, I figure you have some stories to tell. I know you do. And so blessed and privileged. Um, it's a gift that I have been able to sustain a career as long as I have and continue to be in demand uh, while balancing living a life and not completely uh, giving myself to the business as yeah. I did in well, the early part of my career. And uh, twice through an experience that we had, my wife and I, where she lost a cousin to uh, substance abuse mm. back in the early 90s. And I went to a fellowship meeting to support the families of those that were afflicted, you know, thinking in a Kipling-esque manner that I was going to, you know, shoulder their burden, so to speak. And yeah. uh, I realized that I was as messed up as, quote unquote, the afflicted people in the room. As they went around the room, I was like, oh, so they have that and they have that problem. And I'm sitting here, but I have the same tendencies of compulsion and where is that coming from Hmm. and that led to a realization that it was my fix was my profession being an actor wow Um, we live for the business we're consumed by it we have we lose sense of who we are if we're not careful because we end up uh, just being absorbed by it and we live our life and our self-esteem basically fears around the next gig, the next job, who I'm working with, uh, what I got, the what I didn't get, fix. why did I not get that, yeah. who got it, and all of that. You know, it consumes you. So that was a wake-up call. Um, and so in 97, I got to kind of a glass ceiling and pre-bended like Beckham, uh, I basically walked away from the business to move to Windsor, Ontario to live a quiet existence. Okay, I have a follow-up question. Why Windsor, Ontario? Lovely place, been there, <laughs> close to America, you know. But but what drew you to Windsor? So you mentioned you mentioned uh, my love for food and wine. So yeah. my partner of thirty eight years, and now my well, she's my wife for God, how many thirty eight uh, thirty years almost. Um, yeah, you should. It's hard once you get past a certain point. <laughs> the math, you're like, how old am I? How many? I'm I'm 24 years with my husband. You know, and the same thing. It's it's you know you're together so long. So so um, her stage name is Perry Allen. Her, she and her family, who are Turkish Cypriot by descent, had moved to Windsor back in the 80s. Uh, my father-in-law was a barrister, but he couldn't practice because of the laws. Uh, in Canada about foreigners being able to do their chosen vocation. Oh, there we go, getting political. (laughs) Too early to get political, Gurendra. Anyway, so he basically uh, had run a place in Soho in the UK called Romano Sante, Italian name, French menu, owned by Turks. That was his uncle's restaurant. And so he decided to open a restaurant and it was in an old heritage uh, manner, which uh, was built at the turn of, not the last century, yeah, the last century. Yeah. And it's literally a stone's throw away from Sandwich, in Sandwich Town, a stone's throw away from where the War of 1812 was fought. Hmm. So very historic. And he had passed away and uh, there was 
family dysfunction around whether to keep it or not keep it. And my wife and I decided basically to move to Windsor, Ontario to keep that <laughs> legacy going. And as it was my second passion, uh, it was a wonderful transition. We grew everything. We were doing the whole 100 mile radius thing before the word became a trending hashtag. Yeah. And I traveled to Livington and Kingswell and Amherstburg and pick my produce every weekend from the farms myself by my hand. And then I would use them, you know, in the restaurant for the week. Listeners, I think with the way that we're already in Windsor growing fruit, running a an establishment, you can see why I wanted Durendra on the podcast uh, and and his uh, proclivity for just pulling you into a story, <laughs> taking you on an adventure. However, I'm going to decide where we go next. <laughs> um, I want to get to know who you were as a child. So paint me a picture here. I, I want my favorite age right now is like 10, 11, 12, because that's the age that my daughter is. Mm -hmm. It seems like such a, a a pure age. And as far as like, I, I find that like, you know, my daughter has a really good sense of who she is, you know, and really knows how she wants to feel and very clear about how she wants to make me feel about all of these things, <laughs> you know? So paint me a picture of who you were, you know, when you were about that age. And was there anything in the way that you were as a kid, you know, that that would kind of give us a peek at the kind of, you know, your life as an actor, you know, and the life that you would eventually build for yourself. So um, I was born in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, which is on the east coast of Africa mm. on the Indian Ocean. My mother was born in what is the Belgian Congo, although South Asian, and my dad was born in Gujarat. They came together and got married within a week of knowing each other. So that's where I was born. And it's a melting pot. Uh, very diverse. We had Chinese neighbors. We had all kinds of Muslim neighbors, Ismailis, Shinashris, Bohoras. We had Catholic neighbors, Anglican neighbors. I grew up with a very kind of ideal of what the what the world we're aspiring to today. Yeah, it's right? so funny as you're saying that though, when a lot of people in the West think of Africa, they think of like this like monolith, you know, one one type of culture, one type of person, one type of landscape, and you're describing, you know, the reality of, you know, Africa, which is diverse. <laughs> very, very diverse. And, you know, that continent, uh, what's and all, the reason it's successful today and the reason that part of Africa, especially that's the way it's making progress into the world is because of some of the ideologies and philosophies that were adopted through the Asian Indian migration mm. to that area. Like, I mean, today, the richest young man in Africa is actually my niece's son-in-law. Um, Okay, so, sorry, I'm going to have to need a no, chart. No, sorry, not to... my niece, my cousins. My <laughs> cousin's cousin's son-in-law son -in is the richest man in Africa. That's a, that's a good person yeah. to know. Uh, I don't know him. I've never met him. But I'm just giving hey, you an family. idea. <laughs> yeah, I'm just giving you an idea of the kind of inroads our ancestors have made in making Africa the way it is. Yeah. In building Africa, the infrastructure was opened up. Of course, it was built by the Brits, you know, but the infrastructure was opened up by little Asian shop owners who mm. came, who settled, who went into the rural areas and opened up the shops and, you know, built communities around them. So that's kind of my background. The, the age you talk about, 10, 11, 12, yeah. I was early 70s. I was around 71. Uh, I was around 11, rather, not 71. Um, 10 to 12, uh, it's just 
coming into my own, having sort of stepping into teen years, getting excited about um, girls mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, just developing a demeanor for myself, a kind of a persona, persona, yeah. you know, and uh, and our biggest influence was Bollywood movies. Yeah. Well, they weren't Bollywood then, they were called Hindi movies. Right. Uh, so Hindi movies, black exploitation movies, you mm-hmm. know, Shaft and Foxy Brown and Cleopatra Jones and all those. I mean, and of course, Spaghetti Westerns. Uh, the Good, Bad, The Ugly, yeah. for a few fistful of dollars more or whatever that, yeah. Something. These are all movies that have, um, they have heroes. They have like, you know, because on the surface, they look wildly different, you know, but they're so dramatic, you know, and they're, all those archetypes are there. So watching and, and these. Kung Fu movies. Oh, and Kung Kung Fu movies because we became a dump. Ta- China built the railway that goes from Tanzania to Zambia mm. for free. And we became a dumping ground for all things Chinese, including right. the Chinese Kung Fu movies that were dubbed, that were basically subtitled in Chinese and were Chinese. There was no English subtitles. So we as teenagers would go and watch these movies and laugh with the villains on the screen when they laughed and everyone in the in the auditorium thought we actually spoke Chinese. <laughs> we're just obnoxious teenagers. <laughs> Watching those films, though, did you imagine yourself in that world on the screen? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up? For sure. Of course you did. You came out with that swagger, you know, like I see kids today, you know, watching anime or watching, you know, sci-fi and you become the hero. We came out looking and feeling like Rajesh Khanna or Amitabh Bachchan or Clint Eastwood or Sean Connery, you know, or, you know, Bruce Lee, you know, we kind of adopted those demeanors and those kind of language and that was the biggest cultural influence other than books my dad ran a bookshop so we grew up with comics like Archie and Richie Rich and Casper and Bino and Dandy and Beezer and all these kind of cultural you know references that are associated with the West that you don't think exists in Africa your dad ran a bookshop yeah he ran a bookshop and a printing press and then so Enid Blyton (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> I got a Christie. Thank you for uh, making that sound when I see Enid Blyton because I mean I was I grew up my my mother was quite an Anglophile you know and like so I all of the the ch- the children's books you know they found their way to me and I was never into Enid Blyton at all from those comics completely made to, that sound from the comics who <laughs> we went to those novels you know the carpetbaggers like Harold Robbins or pulp basically you know James yeah. Hadley Chase and all those kind of stuff so. We grew up with those cultural references, and of course, uh, one imagined themselves in those roles or in those personas or avatars, as has become fashionable these days. Um, but you know, it was a never an uh, uh, what do you call it, an aspiration, so to speak. My dad was a huge film fan, by the way. After work, he went to cinema every day before he came home, and he was a big Raj Kapoor fan. Mm. Uh, one of the founders of Indian cinema. So film was very much part of our idiom and radio. Radio was huge because there was no television in Tanzania being a socialist country. Mm. Anyway, so those were kind of the You grew up in stories. You grew up in a family that valued stories, film and comics and books. And then food too, because mom being born in Zaire, Mm. we grew up cooking French food at home. Uh, You know, uh, we didn't have a refrigerator. So we would make like mayonnaise to have prawn cocktails, like fresh, and then yeah. we just, you know, eat them. And that's where the love for food started. But I digress. So, 
So my that's what I'm calling this episode. But I digress. I love your digressions. <laughs> that's why I wanted you here. You've already taken us. Look how far all over the world we've traveled so far. <laughs> Only a few minutes in. <laughs> life lived, I guess. <laughs> but you, I mean, as you've been talking about, you know, you know, you as a child, you've been saying we did this, we did that. What did you specifically want to do as you grew up? What did you imagine yourself doing? So- Went through the early school system doing science. Um, I it's just the the system kind of the grid basically threw me in science. Yeah, I was never good at it. I was not good at math. I was not still not good at math. I was never good at <laughs> chemistry, biology. I was very good at because <laughs> for various reasons. Yeah, um, but physics and but accountancy towards latter years of the of of. Um, my high school accountancy became something that I was drawn to. Economics was something I was drawn to. So at the tender age of 18, when I could not possibly have moved further in the education ladder in Tanzania, because I was born under the British rule uh, and I was not kind of a Tanzanian citizen, that I had to look elsewhere. So my parents, the biggest sacrifice, they, well, my mom made a huge sacrifice when she had me. She gave up her career. Sorry. Mm. She gave up her fledgling career working for the Belgian consulate because she was the only French-speaking woman in Tanzania at the time. And uh, she gave that up to raise me. Yeah. It's a debt of gratitude Mm. I can never repay. And then... um, so how do you get here? Uh, <laughs> Not sure. No, you were, we were talking about um, economics, about your, your and, education. Yeah. So wanted to uh, study economics, and the second, yeah, the big sec- the biggest sec- second sacrifice was when I became an adult and I was ready to support them. You know, uh, through their life, um, I emigrated, and that let me go and have always been extremely supportive of whatever decision I chose to pursue in my career. I left Tanzania with two pounds in my pocket. I, I'm sorry, two pounds? Yeah, two great. One plus one, one, plus one equals two. Two, two quid. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that was, I had. That's nothing. I wore a three-piece suit with a broad tie like the 70s and I had this really colorful shirt and I had these platform boots which are like, up to my almost up to my thighs and with eight inch heels and 54 inch flares so you can imagine oh you spent all your rest of your money on your shoes and your tie goes <laughs> to show the kind of fashion trend at the time right and again coming from tanzania being indian you have a certain image but then i paint this picture and you go that sounds like someone from detroit or chicago mm, at that mm-hmm. time you know, the well, kind you've of been fashion. watching Shaft and stuff, right? well, you know, that's, that's, the we- yeah. the Western entertainment exactly. influences the world. Exactly. I'm oh, sorry. Where were you? You were on the flight and you headed where? To, Bur- uh, to Birmingham. You went to Birmingham. Birmingham. I went to Birmingham in, in the Midlands the UK. Uh, yeah. to live uh, initially with my aunt, my kaki, as they call them. So that's my dad's brother's wife mm-hmm. and my cousin, uh, who I have a close bond with. Um, yeah, and I lived in Birmingham and I went to study economics and soon realized that uh, none of that was going to materialize. So I got a job and I sold, I made 
railway parts. You know, like kids play these with these uh, motorized train sets. Yeah. Yeah. So I made the molds that made those parts that made the mini trains and the tracks and the you know components like the wheels in a small basement uh, factory in Tisley in um, South. Well, it's Spark Hill, which is a very strong and Spark Brook, which are now very strong. Hindu and Muslim kind of areas, yeah. uh, Pakistani and Indian, and most of Spark Brook now is a big balti restaurant. You know, it's like wall to wall balti restaurants. Uh, anyway, so no, I mean, before before we get, be, get get back into mm-hmm. into that moment, you know, you you describe growing up in such a diverse place with you know with you're on the coast and there are all these different cultures, and you end up in in Birmingham. What what? T- tell me about like what what does cold like did you experience culture shock like what did you think well, you you're in this you know I mean I'm assuming now I haven't been to Birmingham but I've been to Manchester you know and one of my dear, dearest friends was you know he was Persian man from Manchester it was a huge I mean it's diverse but it's diverse but at the time that he was growing up in the 70s it was also separate you had you know the there was the Persian community and then you know the white community and it wasn't you know a, a joyful um, coexistence you know it's very interesting that you asked that question because initially I was just around my sphere of influence which was the Gujarati South Asian community a lot of them were extended family that had settled there so that was my initial sphere of influence and then once I got a job actually my second job because I didn't last very long at that factory because he promised me day release to go to college and all that none of that happened so I moved on and I sold double glazing and Ugh. home insulation systems, door-to-door, canvassing. Um, so that's when the culture shock set in. You're knocking on people's doors yeah. in and, Birmingham. And and this is in the winter now. So I arrived in sp- summer, and then we're in the winter now. Ugh. And that was my first winter anywhere ever. And I had uh, rubber <laughs> shoes with rubber soles. So I'm not equipped for... No, for but the platforms have been plat- packed away, yeah. though. You're oh, not wearing the platforms. You can't wear those anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, oh. yeah, knocking on doors. So we would get in a car with a team of people can- and go canvassing, and there'd be six of us or five of us in the car, and we'd arrive at a newly developed or newly developing uh, housing estate and knock on doors to get leads to have home insulations put in. Um, and we got paid 20 pounds for each lead we opened at the time. And um, I got all kinds of offers and revelations. Uh, you know, there were children who would come up and as I would be talking and doing my pitch and they start rubbing my hand and go, it doesn't come off. Ooh. Talking about my complexion and yeah. my skin, you know, or I'd get people asking me, so, you know, where's your accent from? Because I, at the time I spoke like this, I spoke with, uh, you know, uh, Indian but African accent. Yeah. So when I spoke, they would say, "But who, where, where are you from? Where were you born?" And I tell them Tanzania. They didn't know where it was first of all, and mm-hmm. they say, "Oh, Africa." And they say, "Oh, so did you swing from trees to trees?" And you know, did you have a lion as a pet? You know, because straight away the frame of reference is Mowgli from Jungle Book, right? Because that's where yeah. they associate you with. Um, oh, and, Rudyard Kipling, will you? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and then, oh, and then we'd get, you know, some nights uh, you'd get, uh, you know, knock on a door, and there's a, a, a 
housewife that the husband's out on a work and she would invite you to stay over if you wanted to you're welcome to and it's like it was quite the experience revelatory experience as i say for an 18 year old boy Oof. so culture shock yeah it came in many ways you know it came in all kinds of forms um and then i saw and then i joined the post office and i worked behind the counter you know giving people dishing out people their gyros i was trained in Worcester, which is like ultimate white stronghold in the in the malvern hills and then they put me in a ghetto yeah in a you know place where uh basically a lot of diverse diverse people including yeah. a lot of at the time you know single families and we'd get guns pointed at us from all kinds of people it was saying cash me gyro man you know and if you didn't catch the gyro without an identity you could get your head blown off so that was fun and then uh, i tired of that and i saw an ad in a paper uh setting up an acting workshop oh my god i forgot that we were getting to acting that's so <laughs> Like, where is it taking us next? Right, you're an actor. <laughs> so there were two things that had happened. I'd seen a movie called Juggernaut. I think we may have talked about this when we did the India. The library screen for India, yeah. yeah. I saw Roshan Seth on screen and he was playing a steward from Africa in a movie called Juggernaut. And that was where the revelation happened that I could possibly entertain this idea. Mm. So I saw this thing about a workshop. And as you can see, communication is not a problem with me. And I'm no. able to you know, tell a story. So I decided to join it. And uh, talk about decolonization. Well, <coughs> the original poster child for decolonization, because I didn't have the money. And I also saw my peers who, when they opened the mouth, did not sound like who they were supposed to be, hmm. because those institutions they went to made them sound like them. So I refused to go to a drama school. With all due respects to people who spend years and years perfecting their craft, I thought it's like, you know, like you train for something and then you arrive and they say, oh, we don't want you to play Hamlet. We just want you to hold the spear and stand in the background. Mm. And I felt that was futile. Right? So what I did was, I was still smart though. So I basically went into theater workshops. Yeah. And I trained with people who had worked with the likes of Peter Brook doing mask and comité d'arte and improvisation and I learned on the job as I went along without compromising my identity and as a result I became one of the most kind of sought after and most hired actor of my among my peers yeah and occasionally I asked producers and directors like I, when I was in the audition room I saw XYZ who were you know Literata or Lambda or Rose Bruford and you know why did you choose me and I said well because when you open your mouth you sound like you. Sound like you. You don't sound like an institution. When they open their mouth, we know where they came from, and they've lost touch with that authenticity. So wow. That's okay. Before we digress anywhere else, I, I I feel like I have to like. It's like I'm pulling the cord on the bus and be like, okay, director, we're gonna take a second. Now I'm gonna feel emotional because I I've been talking recently with my father about how he felt, you know, he went from, you know, from India to his education in England, how that made him feel. And then from, you know, if going from England to Montreal and how isolated he felt. And um, it can erode your sense of self as well, you know, to, to 
you know, when you feel more isolated or you've gone from being feeling like you're part of a community, you know, to Mm -hmm. being like a total fish out of water and then to, you know, and then you're really like, you know, and all all of these people calling you out, touching your skin. Why are you different? It can make you almost self hate yourself. So you're, you got your finger wagging at me. How did to your podcast? Yeah. (laughs) This woman is a listener. And here I am, and you brought me right back. <laughs> how, how did that make you? Did, did sure. being an immigrant and that journey to go from you know where you were in your childhood to England? You know, how did that that change your relationship with your identity? You know, were there any kind of revelations, your experiences with the children and the housewives and the Birmingham and all of that? Um, yes and no, and your dad will relate to what I'm about to say. Yeah. Um, talk about my mother who has never been to India by the way to this day yeah never um, she was brought up with a very kind of European sensibility and then the cultural influences I talked about yeah the Amitabh Bachchan's the Bruce Lee's the Devanand's the Dilip Kumar's that idealism that comes from those movies um, um, you know like what's that Christmas movie that it's a wonderful life mm-hmm. you know that idealism is ingrained in you through that entertainment yeah Right. And so basically, in many ways, what happens is that is kind of I didn't we didn't have an extended family. I didn't have grandparents or uncles or aunts who kind of, you know, we grew up around. Uh, We're a very small family. So that influence came from the books we had read or the movies we saw or the, you know, and that is what carried me through that, Mm. that uh, inspired me. Yeah to basically stay focused on who I was and keep that strong self-identity because I knew watching those heroes that I would prevail. Yeah. No matter where I was, uh, my mother taught us survival skills. I learned cooking at the age of five. Talk about cooking. Yeah. Um, she was not always well, so and she wanted to make sure that I learned cooking as much as my sister who's three years younger than me had to learn and whatever I needed to learn that's huge to my sister had that's to like I mean that for her that was huge you're a boy it's the biggest gift I wow. have ever received in life I told you I can never repay the debt that my parents you know yeah the sacrifices they've made yeah absolutely you know, not, we don't come from a rich family we don't come from a uh, um, a big you know a family infrastructure we're simple people that grew up on values yeah. and still to this day live by those values and uh, of just honoring and respecting whoever's in front of us and where we are. And uh, that kind of builds a self, not a wall, it's not a wall, but a kind of survival instinct yeah. that you don't lose yourself. I don't, I'm, my self-esteem does not rest on other people's perception of me. Yeah, I know who I am. So when you arrived, even when you were 18 and you arrived in Birmingham, you knew who you were. Yeah, I knew who I was. Yeah. And at the time, you know, it was like this, I'm this, this guy, this yeah. guy that has, you know, left the village and gone to the city. Yeah. So to speak, right? Those Dilip Kumar movies. Those yeah. are the, last movies. <laughs> the life isn't a movie. You know, life's That's not why a movie. Cinema Paradiso is my favorite film ever because yeah. that ties in so much into my 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 uh, growing years yeah you know 
I mean, maybe I'll never be employed again because people say he's an imposter. But, you know, it's the cultural influences that yeah. inform you and be to become the person that you are. So just I frown upon parents who say, oh, my child shouldn't watch that or my child shouldn't watch this. And I mm. go, you know what? Ultimately, have faith in the the the. And it's challenging. I'm not judging anyone because, you know, I have a teenage daughter and I know the challenge. Yeah, we were talking We were talking before I hit record. I was, was sharing what my morning with a 12-year-old was like. Yeah. yeah. And, but the <laughs> point is that we have to, as parents, we freak out. Yeah. Um, they can't watch that. No. Or, or what if? Yeah. What if that? And not, it's not so much about what other people would think. It's like, where is the future going to lead them if they do this? Hmm. Well... I'm a perfect textbook example of where my future led me. Yeah. You know, so I can't like put put those values on my child and just, you know, have to look at them every day and go, okay, who are you today? And how yeah. can I relate to you today? And how can I best be there to support your growth? You know? Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to jump a little bit in the timeline then. I want to figure, how did you go from, oh, and you're refilling your glass. You got to refill my glass too. <laughs> you reach your long arm and that long bottle over here. Thank you. Just making sure they can hear How did you, pouring yeah. this nectar of the gods. It's a beautiful, we're drinking a Spanish white wine. Um, thank you very much that Durandra brought. How, how did you end up going from Windsor to Vancouver? So from, yeah. from the hospitality industry and back into the entertainment industry? So just to kind of touch on the experience of restaurants. So we soon became talk of town. Um, my father-in-law had left a huge legacy and initially people weren't coming to the restaurant yeah. because they, they were grieving. Even after like four years of his passing, they were grieving. Yeah. And, um, but you know, I kind of thought, well, you know, they, they had a Turkish kind of restaurant and what was called Continental at the time. Remember that time? When, oh gosh. When the restaurant was called Continental. Uh, steak Diane was on the menu. Oh my God, Steak Diane. <laughs> anyway, so I, with my appreciation of food and experience, I thought, you know, we can, we can tweak Was this, this like and, late 80s, early 90s? Like that kind of? This is um, uh, mid to late 90s. Yeah, yeah around okay. 97. So we can tweak this, you know, and coming from a place like England, London, where the food explosion happened yeah. now, you know, and I thought we could kind of suddenly influence Windsor a bit that way. So we had a very, um, we had the staples of the Turkish food, including a 10-course Turkish meal. And there's a reason I'm telling you this. A 10-course uh, Turkish yeah. meal. That and, sounds phenomenal. And, and then I created with like an African recipe, what the Ismailis made famous in Africa, called kukupaka, which is a chicken cooked in coconut milk. It's grilled, marinated in green spices, grilled, and then cooked in a in a in a coconut milk and oh, you know uh, I'm gonna have yeah, to have sauce. one of these crisps because yeah. <laughs> and, and you know there were lots of different influences that we added that kind of made it more of a global menu and we were listed among one of the top restaurants in Detroit year after year and we didn't we weren't even in Detroit yeah you know restaurants would come to us who had won the restaurant of the year award and say you should have won Hmm. But we did. And we're coming here to acknowledge that we appreciate everything you're doing. You're not even in the same the country. No, no, <laughs> and yet you no, were considered. No. But then wow. one bright sunny morning, it was 2001, and I had gone to run some errands for the restaurant. And my I come home and uh -oh. the restaurant was downstairs and there was a office was upstairs. And uh -huh. I go up 
And my wife waves a fax at me and she goes, back in the day, we had faxes. There was I no remember. Internet. Well, there was internet, but there was not internet. If you was know. it the, no, was it the era of the shiny, was it a shiny paper <laughs> fax with that kind of like that? Yes. Stri- yeah, the glossy, yeah, yeah. you know, not stiff paper. Yeah. yeah. I remember. Yep. <laughs> the facts was a breakdown for a movie that was being made in Vancouver, and they were looking for a brown guy who was based on a real life reporter. And it was, I looked at it and I go, and he, he's a reporter who gives up journalism and goes back to Africa to open a burger restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> life imitating art kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, I look at it and go, no, this is past me now. This is behind us. And my wife goes, no, no, but look, it's shooting in August, and we closed the restaurant in August. So why don't you just throw your name in the hat? Might be a good holiday, if nothing else. So I called the casting woman who was calling, uh, Carol Tarlington back in the day. She ran, yeah, Carol was yes, the casting director. Yes, wow. And little Australian Very voice. well-known teacher as well and an, a writer. Wow. So Carol was at the other end of the phone and she goes, uh, can you be in Toronto tomorrow? I said, no. She said, why? I said, I have a life. She said, what? I said, I have a life. She said, what do you mean you have a life? So I told her my backstory <laughs> and I'd given up the acting business. And she goes, oh, just send me a resume. So I faxed over a resume. Now, this was because my British agent had picked this up. They yeah. had, they'll put this on, on the internet and my British agent had picked me up, picked it up and he had sent this fax to us. So I called him and I said, why are you wasting my time? And he goes, just go in it. Anyway. I love that he knew and also that your wife knew. <laughs> you're like fighting it. Honestly, you're really setting up a scene in a movie. <gasps> I want the Durandra movie. Mm-hmm. Now that would be a movie. Okay, okay, okay. Have, you've had your sip of wine. Bring us back to the story. <laughs> anyway, at this point, I had already done four features in England. Yeah. Three of which was me playing leading roles. Anyway, so I sent my resume and she goes, called like 10 minutes later, when can you be here? I said, well, I need about a week. She said, okay, we'll be doing a callback. So I go to Toronto. It was funny. There's a guy from New York, guy from Toronto, guy from... Uh, LA and it was me and all of these guys are like really walking around very intense preparing for this role and I'm just like oh, did I'm you want this. it uh, it was just I went along for the ride I related to the sides because I related to this character and I said this guy is from East Africa and they said no he's Canadian I said yeah he's Canadian but he's from East Africa they said no 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 he's not okay he's from East Africa <laughs> I did my thing. I did my thing. And Brad Turner, who was the director, Brad Turner went on to do 24 and become mm. an exec producer, very well known in these parts. Uh, um, Susan Morgan, who was the head of CBC Drama, was completely smitten at that point. She is the mother of Tori Higginson, who is on Transplant right yes. now. And uh, uh, Hugh Beard and Deborah Beard, Force Four Films, Force Four, that's who at right. that time had not produced a single drama. All they'd done was documentaries. So this was their first drama. Wow. I walked in, clearly I left an impression. They said, we need you to come to Vancouver to a screen test. I said, I can't. I said, why? I said, I have a life. He has a life. Established. Well, when can you come? I said, well, you know, it was true because there was a 50th birthday party at the restaurant and... This guy had cornered me a year before to say, I need to do the 10-course Turkish feast. That's the relevance ah. for my wife and my friends. I'm going to book the entire restaurant, 50 seats, and you are going to do the whole thing for us. I said, okay. So I could not let him down. Yeah. And don't forget, I had walked away. Like, it didn't matter, you know. Anyway, so uh, what happened then? And this is at this point, I've been out of the business for eight years. 
Mm. So she said, when can you come? So I said, I can come, I can fly out on Sunday morning. So I flew from Windsor via Detroit and Phoenix to Vancouver on Sunday. Monday we did the screen Sorry, test. Sorry, you flew literally you flew south to fly like northwest. <laughs> south to north to south to west. Unbelievable. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And anyway. you're like, okay, fine. Like my wife told me, <laughs> my manager told me, but I have a life. I walked away. Just when you thought you were out, out they it. pulled you <laughs> back, right in. back in. Yeah. <laughs> so then I did my screen test. Yeah. And a week later, they called. And my wife called me actually and said, pull over. I said, I was speaking of, we had tux, tuxes. We wore tuxes in the restaurant. And so my wife, I, I was at the dry cleaners picking the staff uniforms and she said, pull over. I said, what, what, what happened? What, what's wrong with my dad? Because my dad had had a heart attack a few years before. Oh, yeah. And Obviously, you would yeah. think that. And she said, she said, no, no, pull over. So I pulled over. She said, uh, did you like Vancouver? I said, yeah. She said, well, you're going back for six weeks. And that's how Jinnah happened. Wow. So another little twist there. My wife, my mother-in-law had planned to retire here when my father-in-law was still alive back in the day. Yeah. And she told me one thing. She said, when you go to Vancouver, I don't know how much time you'll have for your screen test, but you should go to Granville Island Market. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so I went to, Gra- I had like the morning. With I'm sorry, not just Grant, we're here. Yeah. The YVR Screen Scene Studio recently relocated to Granville Island. Look what, doesn't Durandra know how to tell a story? Wow. I, I missed that connection. <laughs> <laughs> we're literally here. You're listening. <laughs> yeah, we're literally here. And I was on what it used to be the Radisson or something. It's just on the other side of the bridge. And I walked over the bridge and I came down here and I went to the soup place, stock market. Yeah. Stock pot, stock market. And I had I, I got a fish soup and I sat uh, outside looking at the, the, the people movers, the... The, what do you call them? Water the buses, the the aqua bus, buses, the, seat, the aqua yeah. buses, and thinking, wow, maybe one day, mm. you know. And then I went to my screen test. Anyway, got the job. So just a little connection here. So uh, they, I go to a read, read through. I'm wearing a pink shirt that morning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, first cast read through. I walk into the room, and there's a guy seated in a yellow canary colored shirt, canary yellow colored shirt, and Says, White guy? Uh, no, he says Jambo. Oh, okay. <laughs> In Swahili. Yeah. <laughs> Look at him, very imposing, six foot four, big guy, big glasses, you know, medallion, typical 70s medallion man. And he goes, Jambo. I said, Si Jambo, habariyako, meaning hi, how are you? We greet each other. He said, I understand you're from Tanzania. I said, Yeah, Dar es Salaam, where? And he says, Kigoma. So I was right from the get go. I looked at those sides and looking at the rhythm with the wish with which he spoke the language, I said, this guy is from Tanzania or East Africa. Mm-hmm. And they didn't believe me. So anyway, therein started a huge friendship and a relationship. I shadowed him for about three days. I'm sorry, who this was Salim Jiwa, whose life Jinnah on Crime is based on. Yes. Who's a very well known reporter, yeah. crime reporter. Vancouver's son, right? That's was the right. son. Yeah. Well, it was son and then he was he was too iconoclastic for the sun, so he ended up at the province. At the province. So, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you knew, you knew. And I remember, I remember when this premiered. I remember my parents loving it, um, especially. I, my mom being a crime person, my dad just happy whenever there's, you know, some like, you know, dashing brown person on television. For you, though, after having walked away 
from the business, thinking like it's all behind me and doing this all because your wife and your manager told you to do it. What kind of discoveries did you have on that set? Because like clearly you didn't you didn't end up leaving the entertainment industry at the end. I read the script (laughs) and I said, you know what, I can I can give it a shot. Yeah, I can be a contender. (laughs) (laughs) And um, there were so many aspects of the story that I related to and his journey of wanting to walk away from journalism to go to food and all of those little things that kind of drew me in. And so I found myself on day one on the set at 49th and Main. And we're about to start shooting and the writers, uh, Don Hauka and Margaret and Bartley Bard who ran ran the, is it the Lunchbox Theater in Edmonton for a long time Mm. or Calgary? Anyway, there were the writers on the show and the producers all and director all huddled around the video village, conspiratorially talking about something, kind of turning red in the face. And I went, what's going on? They said, well, uh, we just heard that we can't shoot. I said, why not? She said, well, with this, well, those Sikh extras don't want to be on this movie and work on this movie. I said, why? They said, well, we don't know. So I walked over and this is one of the benefits of speaking various languages. I mm. addressed them in Hindi and my broken Punjabi to say, what's the problem here? And they said, well, they pointed at the chairs, you know, the chairs that we have on set. Yeah. The people, the name of the production and the actors and said, this man divided our country. Jinnah <gasps> on crime. Right. Jinnah. <laughs> I see. Right. Different. Right. They, Not Jinnah. They thought it was Jinha. They're like, we don't want to be in the Jinha movie. Acha. Okay. And I said to them, <laughs> okay. I said, rest assured, because these were folks that had lived through yeah. 1947 and the partition. Yeah. So I explained that. It was My not, dad was born in Lahore in 1946, yeah, now, so I know. Another point of interest, though, another connection here is I had told, when I first got the script and I saw the name, I told them change the name. You're not doing yourself any favors by having- Right, because it's not his real name in real yeah. life anyways. Yeah. And I said, you can't. I said, oh, you know, yeah. change it. And they said, well, Telefilms approved it and CBC's approved it, blah, 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 blah. You know, who am I? Just an actor. What do I right. know? You know? Anyway, 20 years later, Don went to India to get him <laughs> produced. The producers talked to him, loved the idea. They said, but you do know, this will never get made in India, right? <laughs> they should have listened to you. So now they've yeah. actually made me a consultant and I'm helping produce it. And the reincarnation of Jinnah, he's much younger than I was. And we're Jinnah, developing it. not Jinnah. Okay. We're developing it. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, so now the name is Sharif on crime. <laughs> Sorry. 22 years it took me to get them there. <laughs> We're going to call this long story short, actually, <laughs> but I it's got it from but I digress to long story short. Your discoveries on that on Jenna on mm-hmm. crime, though, and there ended up being what, two movies, yeah. at least two movies yeah. made. Yeah. Um, was there a moment where you're, when you went back and you said to Perry, OK, we're going to move to Vancouver and I want to do acting like how did that happen? Oh, so so. So I set up a precedent, by the way, on set. I hugged everyone. So if you talk to David James Lewis or Craig March or Pamela Sinha or anybody who was- Wait, David James Lewis was on? He was was my sidekick. Really? (laughs) He was, yeah, he was my- 
Why do I, I mean, okay, so I, and I'm going to say bag. this to a, your punching bag. Oh, that's what David James Lewis makes me feel. I loved, I love David. Um, but I, like, I was him. just, I was just complaining to you before, before, you know, we started to record that I, I can't find it anywhere. This groundbreaking show that touched a lot of people, meant a lot to you, but meant a lot to audiences as well. It's not on CBC Gem, can't find it on YouTube. You know, maybe you have a copy I can rewatch. But you know, I'm gonna put some pressure on CBC and CBC Gem. This should be on there. It's an important show and widely entertaining. Twenty three well. brown people got their break. Zaf Peru, Harun Khan, Parm Sore, his first job on television. Rekha Sharma, one of our early works, maybe the first television. Um, uh, oh my God. Uh, Zafar, who I mentioned. Uh, yeah, so many people got their first break. Uh, I'm forgetting somewhat. Seth Vera. Dynamic, you know. yeah. dynamic characters, you know, not, you know. They all have amazing careers yeah. and always had the potential, but the opportunities just simply were not there for them at that time yeah right anyway so i'm i'm not saying that you know it was because of me i'm saying that they existed yeah but they just weren't seen yeah right or heard so that that like it was truly groundbreaking in so many ways mm. you know so many ways anyway so hugging became a precedent that was set on the set back in the day you could hug people without you know having the studios throw the edict at you about sexual harassment etc Mm. And uh, I hugged every single crew and cast member every morning and at wrap. So they added 15 minutes to my call time just to make sure that we got so All right, Durandra's got to hug everybody. He's probably going to tell a story too, but you know, so let's make sure we have that time on there. So at this time, <laughs> so at this time, we fell in love with Vancouver and we were thinking of starting a family and we were practicing lots, but it wasn't happening back in... <laughs> in Sorry, it's the wine it dulled me a little bit, but it took me a second about what practicing means. Oh my goodness. All these, all these, <laughs> we didn't have self-tapes back in there. <laughs> but all these tryouts just didn't lead to a booking. Oh my God. So Daddy anyway, G, if you're still listening, stop listening. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's talking so, about sex now. <laughs> so then, well, talking about sex, there was a toe-sucking scene in Jenna. And there That's was, right. And the papers would introduce, uh, interview and go, but you know, your kind of people, we don't really associate with sex. And I'd say- Excuse me? We what about Kama Sutra? Where did that originate? My uncle gave me a Kama Sutra as a wedding gift. There you go. Yeah. And also, look at the population of <laughs> India. What do you think that is? Immaculate Conception? <laughs> and we're not even Christians. Okay, now the crying is starting. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> anyway. So Perry so is like, okay, Durandra, get to the point where I move to Vancouver. So we're so we're, we're we're thinking we move here basically to start a family because we actually before we moved here we were contemplating adoption. Yeah. The irony is that my wife had already the first date we ever went on and we we're talking. By the way, we hated each other's guts for a year before we went on the first date. We we're working together as actors, but that's a different chapter. Well, let's not go there today because I'll digress. For <laughs> long story short, oh my <laughs> gosh. Name this episode. Okay, listeners, do you see why I wanted? I knew it was going to be like this, and I'm so glad there's wine too because I'm just going to giggle through all these parts. But and, okay, and um, so so we were thinking of adoption, and uh, we met with a social worker to get the process, and she actually said that this was Ontario that if you choose to go on this journey, you have to abstain from copulation. 
We have to abstain, abstain from sex because we don't want you to be halfway through the process and then have a conceive a child naturally. Because that happens, right? People start the adoption process yeah. and then they get... Yeah, but that was not our, you know, that was not our thing. Because as I say, my first date, my wife said she would rather adopt than, you know, bear a child, so yeah. to speak, uh, biologically. Anyway, so we moved here and that was the other thing at the back of our mind because again, Windsor with the Ohio incinerators, etc. Not ideal in terms of climate. Yeah. And so we moved here. We loved the fresh, the clean air, the perceived clean air. Uh, there was not as much construction at the time mm-hmm. in 2004. So we moved here and we started the adoption process here and we ended up being blessed with this beautiful angel from Ethiopia. So I'm... Gujarati, South Asian, born in Tanzania. My wife is Turkish Cypriot, born in London, and our daughter is Ethiopian. And we call ourselves yeah, yeah. Trump and Modi's worst nightmare. You are, you really are. No, but you have a hashtag that you use when you post about your household. What do you call your household? Indo Brit Cypro Turk English. Uh, Indo Brit Cypro Turk household. Indo Indo Brit Cypro Turk Ethio household. There you go, yeah. yeah. And also, I used to have one was Bad Hindu Boy Strikes Again. I stopped that through COVID, but uh, maybe I should. <laughs> you should bring it back. <laughs> you should absolutely bring it back. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I am, uh, my daughter is uh, Filipino, uh, Indian, Ukrainian, English in Vancouver, you know, so I, I I always love your hashtag. I've tried to make it like, what do we come to? Ukrainian, Filingrish, Vancouver, right? But it was just, it was too many letters. Okay, hey, you know, yeah. we got we to gotta seek up for ourselves. Okay. Nobody else will. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Do you see, listeners, how we could go? We could go anywhere, but I'm actually, I'm gonna pull Durendra. I'm gonna get him to focus on uh, something that a role that has grown to be very important to me uh, on a show that I tell everybody to watch, which is sort of. Uh, and you came on as Imram, uh, Savi's dad, who we don't see in season one. You've been in Dubai. We see you in season two. T- tell me about, like, I don't even know where to start about this. It's such an important show for me. It's an important show for a lot of people. Uh, it's a role. I mean, it's hard to watch people that you care about die. Okay, spoilers. Die on screen as well. And you went to your own funeral. <laughs> that one. Um, and I'm sure you have, you can digress and tell me a whole story about that one. Um, but but tell me about what this role so, meant so, to you. So after I became a father, I wanted to develop that bond with my daughter. So I gave up acting for eight years again. Again? Yeah. I went and became a wine guy. I basically worked for companies importing and distributing wines. And then when she left elementary school, I decided to go back into the business. This is 2018 and then 2019 COVID hit. What kept me through- What a time to go back into the business, Tarendra. I've never, gone with the odds <laughs> my life is full of these never tell the odds. <laughs> yeah i'm no i'm not a conformist i've never followed i've always set my own path and my own tone wow. subconsciously but now i'm realizing as i turn 63 this year 
that that is a pattern there you know yeah. anyway so i'd given it up and then i was making a living doing voice work with uh with an amazing opportunity in lego jurassic world yeah and simon the owner of jurassic world um and then so and then i booked this poly pocket which is you know also groundbreaking in a sense that's the first interracial marriage on any kind of preschooler show um and what yeah i play poly pocket's grandmother's husband it's the first interracial marriage on any preschooler show. As far as I know. What's amazing is that there's been millions of interracial marriages <laughs> forever. You see the picture of my parents yeah. up there. Yeah. We've been around, you know, yeah. but to be reflected in the entertainment industry. For Polly Pocket to do it, especially. For Polly Pocket. It's such an institution, right? Yeah. So was, yeah. For years, That's I couldn't incredible. talk about that because it was, you know, NDAs and all NDAs. that. NDAs. So, um, Sort of. So I was sitting there watching the show one day and I saw that scene in season one, episode one, mm. where Subby and mom meet in the alleyway where she's bringing them food. <sighs> I know. It has the same effect on me to this yeah. day. Yeah. And, and as the story evolves, I was like, manifesting one day hopefully you know this may materialize this may happen in whatever form or format so you were like me watching season yeah. one then yeah. and i was wow. watching the father's character would come on on telephone uh and like oh they've already cast the father yeah and then the phone rang and you know i was talking about this show even before it became what it became, right? Yeah. Saying, this is the way, this, you know, telling everyone who'd listen. Anyway, and then the phone rang and they said, we'd like to talk to you about this father, Imran. Whoa, sobering, humbling. I was like, yeah, when, where, how? <laughs> anyway, and uh, one thing led to another. We met uh, Fab, who is the co-creator yeah. co and Bilal met via Zoom through the casting people and they met me and I was preparing for the audition. I was singing a Bollywood song and we cut to the, the camera, Zoom came on and they were like, oh, I said, oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. and, and then we got talking and said, you know, you're so full of life and energetic and but our guy is not at all like, you know, you. So we read and then they and Fab asked, Bilal and said are you happy and Bilal said I'm very happy <clears throat> and then next thing I know I'm in Toronto shooting day one which is my funeral <laughs> no they made you shoot your funeral <laughs> well, first listen, gu listen guys <laughs> listen folks I'm only I'm sorry uh don't mean to like you know like ruin anyone's surprise but since sabrina has mentioned it twice yes yeah, yeah. I do die Spoilers. In the show. yeah i do die in the show and yes we started with my funeral that whole you, thing you see at the end of episode eight episode eight yeah you look great i can't believe it was your first scene oh man what a way to meet everybody walking on that set i could not hold back my tears i'm telling you jennifer kwaja who is the executive producer sphere films comes along shakes my hand said, thank you for doing this. And I look at her and I'm crying. And she said, 
And she starts to cry. And I said, you know, it's not just about this show or this role or the story. It's about what's on the set. Yeah. I see a black oh. camera woman. I see a Asians, uh, East Asian boom operator. I see transgender interns. I see the director's PA is a transgender. I see lots of queer folk. Yeah. I see so many women. Looks like the world. So looks like the world yeah. I live in. I feel so safe. I feel, yeah. you know, and that propels me, you know. And so that going back to Imran, so I, I, I don't know why they shot that right at the beginning. <laughs> Must, that I, does seem we, a little we, we've cruel. Never, we've never, we've never, I think maybe they, I, I don't know if anybody knew what Im Imran's impact would be on the show. Mm. But at the same time, I think they were probably guarded to say, you know, we have to shoot this first before maybe we change I mean, our mind or whatever. I right? mean, honestly, though, the way that these things work, mm -hmm. I mean, often it's also about like, oh, we can get this location yes, this absolutely. day and stuff. It's but it stormed that day, yeah, and it flooded and <laughs> thunderstorms and lightning. Yeah, but you were all cozy in your coffin, so you're fine. You know, I, I what I find interesting about Imran, and and I, I mean, I said this in my intro. He could have come on as a villain, you know. Oh, this is a disapproving, you know. This is a difference, disapproving dad from, you know, coming from Dubai, coming in, you know. And and um, but I guess you know because of the people involved, you know, people like Fab and also Bilal, you know, who are at the at the head of this project, you know, um, Imran is lifted above whatever the character, you know, well, caricature, you know, could actually be. And I, I. I don't know if this was actually how it was for you as the actor, but for me as the viewer, one of the most uh, touching, meaningful episodes was the one where um, Imram and and Sabi go to see the Imam, or the Imam, yes. uh, and uh, have a have a conversation there, and that's where we have this great line, you know, about you know, I you don't need to to um, to understand your child in order. <laughs> In order to love them, uh, can you tell me about some of the conversations you know that you were having you know on set about you know the dad character and 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 um, and the kind of the thoughts that you were having about the parents well, in the in the audience you know who who you know love their kids but might not under understand you know this this beautiful new world that we have you know where we can all be ourselves yeah. truly fast evolving world right yeah so i talked about that scene very specifically earlier on about um, sabi and mom and that was when i got the job that was my personal challenge like whether a scene was written or not written to show a moment between father and bilal i wanted to bring that that kind of pathos mm. to imran so that the world didn't walk away thinking that every fucking Pakistani parent was a fucking asshole, pardon my French, right? Because they're human. Yeah. And yes, they're flawed. And yes, they're fucking bigots, some of them, but they're still human. And I wanted, then season one certainly ends with that cliffhanger where we have, we, it paints, it's like Silence of the Lambs. It's, it's a it's a it's a you know it's a it's a thriller that kind of paints a picture of what's to come in yeah. your mind and leaves you especially in this era that we live in paints a picture of this horrible human that might be 
respectively coming. But that's the, what's so amazing about that show is the writing, as you mentioned, um, you know, that Fab and um, Bilal, the way they write and the team they've built around them with Ian Iqbal Rashid and some of the Leo Geronimo and some of the other people that come from a place of heart and yeah. healing. It's not about pointing fingers. It's not about holding people responsible. And show us what's possible. Exactly. As well. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. And as my friend Brian Markinson said on a podcast you did with him yeah. a while ago, it's all on the page. Yeah. It's all on the text. You know, you don't need to feel. The words are there. If you did your detective work as a script doctor or detective. Yeah everything falls into place and when this episode and this scene which was co-written by Bilal and uh, uh, and Fab landed I was like yes <laughs> so that's what I was striving as yeah. selfishly as an actor from my you know as little of an ego as I have but for my vanity that's what I was striving for to match that moment between Bilal and mom yeah to just basically hold up the gender that I was born into. Yeah. Mm. I got to say that scene too. I mean, the whole episode, like the touching moments, whatever. The fact it takes place though, in like this like preschool room as well. You're sitting car. on the little tables and chairs, you know, like little children. And like, and then your imam is saying stuff like that, unexpected yeah. you know that I, but and yet like leading from a place of love so like yes of course and then this is what it could be yeah and we get in the car and we're about to drive away that's my favorite scene and that then, scene kills yeah. me and then it's just like okay words have to be said yeah right and he just can't bring himself to say i love you yeah and that's the closest you know closest there are missed opportunities or like missed intentions and that that is life yeah right? life is full of those things where you just walk away and go if only i had said that yeah you know if only i had done this or if only i had reacted this way and that's the thing as a parent it's a most gratifying yet most thankless job on <sighs> preach brother especially <laughs> with the world we live in today yeah. with influences you know we weren't angels when we were growing up you know, yeah. we were, yeah, my mother used the belt on us, you know, mm -hmm. that was her way mm -hmm. of discipline because that's all she knew. Yeah, so, they did the best know. they could with yeah. what they knew. Yeah. 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 And and so, um, yeah, it was, I approached it like gender issues aside, you know, it was just about a moment between two human beings, one by the virtue of the position that society has bequeathed on them is the parent and the other one is the child. And the idea is that, you know, who, who really is the parent and who is the child, yeah. right? And there are two human beings that are, I mean, Bilal is certainly, the character of Sabi is certainly old enough to be a parent yeah. should they choose to be a parent, whether, you know, like just even by adoption. Yeah. So they're an, an adult in their own right. And then there's this, you know, dinosaur that has lost touch with life. And today, I mean, whether you're a dinosaur like Imran or not, Today, all parents with the way social media operates and all these apps that are created every day, we are Neanderthals. Like we have no control. We have mm -hmm. to adapt every day to a new 
way of looking at our child. Our and, children and are parenting. our education, yeah. for sure. You, you can't, you, yeah. like, there's no, you know, there's no like, oh yeah, eight plus one plus one is two, isn't. You know, in your day and my day, the parents would just have to look at us and we'd sit down and shut up and all get beaten up, right? Dad, are you yes. listening? <laughs> you, know, you know, there was there was some conversation, right? As liberal as they were, but there was no room for maneuver. Oh hell no. <laughs> you know, but now it's like you constantly have to maneuver and it's 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 an improvisation. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah, and mindful living. You have to be so mindful every but living moment. What Imram shows what Imram shows is that there is also room for growth. You know, like what Imram does not like he's confused. He doesn't know what to do with how he feels, but he is not holding back on love. He still loves his child. He might not understand, but he is not holding holding back. Yeah, he tears him apart. Yeah. Because that moment when I get off the bus. <laughs> yeah, your bus. <laughs> <laughs> the disabled person's yes. bus. Your big bus from, that brought you from the airport. From the yeah. Airport. That was great. And Who needs a limo? You have a whole bus. And <laughs> And he comes maybe with a preconception of how he's going to deal with this. Yeah. But then he meets Bilal or Sabi in their full regalia and he's lost. He just doesn't know how to address it yeah. or what to do. You know, and there's that moment where we have, I greet everybody in the family in a line. And I went to Aksa, Supinder, wonderful human mm. who plays my daughter. And I hug her and I lingered on the hug and we finished. And then I go to Subby and I just kind of eye them up and down. And we kind of say hi in an awkward fashion. And we cut. And Supinder said, this makes me feel really eerie. Yeah. And I said, well, that's the idea. Like, you know. Yeah. Like conformists, uh, or he, in his perception, Aksa is a conformist. But she's not at all. Right? Not at all. Because we know the life that Aksa lives. Mm -hmm. But to him, she's fine. And this is kind of. Yeah. So we constantly Growth wanted to explore that. And yeah. my allies, you know, I had two great allies, the creators, who actually supported me to go further to humanize him. And they said, you know, we don't want him to come across as this evil Pakistani human, you know. Uh, he's just a person that culturally is in a different era. Culturally, but I think you know? there's also that fear, too, that, that he expresses that it's... Dangerous. It's a dangerous, you know, it's a dangerous life and a scary world, you know, who's the number and but this is also why shows like I'm going to cry again, why sort of our, <laughs> you and I were like, we're just like <laughs> weeping all the time. Why shows like sort of are so important too, you know, the number one trans women of color are tops when it comes to being victims of crime mm -hmm. of all manner of crime sexual assaults and murders right so that's why it's important to see representation you know of the multitude of experience you know and that also people like Imram you know like yeah that it can that that we can go on a journey mm -hmm. in our families mm -hmm. you know to even when it goes against our what what we think our cultures tell us you mm -hmm. know our cultures don't tell us a lot of stuff you know but like trying to figure stuff out 
that that healing and growth and acceptance and love is possible. That's, that's the process. That's that's basically the premise of the show: healing yeah. and love. And basically, every day we remind ourselves. And Fab was always good at pointing. He said, "I have Italian uncles who are like Imran." You know, so it wasn't just necessarily down to our color or our right. heritage. You know. Um, for example, I did a scene, there's a scene where I come in and I kind of, I don't say much. I just come into the scene. I'm scratching my bum and he just, <laughs> that's, that's my uncle. <laughs> right? But, but so we, that was always the, is like healing is the biggest, uh, mantra of this show. And mm. the second season was all about love and about affirmations and how, love takes the journeys that it does and forces yeah. us to go along the paths that it does and whether the, the love is consummated or not or you know but you know uh you, it's interesting you talked about trans women um they've become the latest weapon in this culture war around the world yeah you know it's weaponized to because the conservative movements not just here in the US, but also in the UK now what's happening, despite having this brown prime minister who I never celebrated on record. Um, oh yeah, brown people don't really like him. <laughs> you know, you know, um, no, seriously, it's like it's true. they're weaponizing it to to basically pander to the most fringe, like fringe elements of society to stay in power because that's just that little group can tip the balance and get them into, keep them in power. Yeah. You know, with refugees, with um, weaponizing, you know, uh, gender, it is so painful to watch. And that's why a show like Sort Of is so groundbreaking, important. Yeah. And CBC has just, um, not CBC, sorry, Sphere Media, which is a company that produces, have just also commissioned another show that's going to be done by Vivek uh, Shreya, who's a musician. Yay! Yeah. How I love the pop trailer. star. Yeah, that's yes. just not done. Yeah, so that's going to be. Uh, oh, so that's not great. One, so sort of is not going to be the only one. You know, it's going to be more stuff like that. Hey, you could be on that show too. I'm just saying. <laughs> 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 Can we manifest that as well? That would be a great role. Uh, you know, you, I think. Gosh, there's so many things we could talk about, Durandra. Um, but before I let you go today. Mm -hmm. Because we've been talking for more than an hour already, wow. if you can believe Jeez. it. Yeah. Is there anything left in the bottle? Because um, there's lots left in. The oh, then I'll have a I'll have a Absolutely. little bit more then. Um, I know that you are uh, very active in in your union, UBCP Actra, um, and you and I have had conversations, you know, about diversity and inclusion before, including on Why We Are Screen Scene for India, mm -hmm. on red carpets. As brown people, we talk in our industry. We talk about this. Um, are we having the right conversations about diversity and inclusion at this particular moment in time? And you know, I ask because you know I've I've heard often in anecdotes from actors of color, um, but also from some clueless white actors, you know, themselves saying, "Oh, I'm losing roles to BIPOC actors," and you know, I mean, BIPOC actors have uh, this is their their accent as I see it. BIPOC actors have an advantage right now. It's so hot to be BIPOC right now. How do you respond to that? Unfortunately, I, I kind of understand it. Um, again, coming from a compassionate place. Um, it's very compassionate of you. 
Yeah. Well, I understand because the industry is very individualist, individualistic. Mm. We as actors are taught to compete against one another and ourselves, putting our ego paramount. Mm. Right. So what happens is we develop a culture of scarcity instead of abundance, instead of recognizing what am I bringing to the table and how is this enriching and impacting everything. We just get focused on me and why I am not getting it. And and the industry loves to play that card because mm. it divides us, you know. Things are changing, of course, but they should have changed. There's no need to have this change if things were already in place, Yeah. right? We want to be a global producing center in Vancouver. Well, how can you make ourselves competitive? Our biggest competitor are markets in India where shows are being shot in India or other parts of the world. Actors are being hired there without any union protection. Mm. If you want to continue to remain a cultural center, production center, we need to show the diversity we have. Otherwise, work's going to dry up because producers are going to come here and go, yeah, but our project needs X, Y, and Z, and you don't have it here. Yeah. Right? So we're going to go to Toronto, or we're going to go to Calgary, or we're going to go to India or Atlanta. So actually, diversity is the biggest weapon we can have as a production center. Right? And I never had anyone hold my hand Talk about decolonizing, talk about, you know, changing the lens, all of these things that have become trendy now. I never had anyone. Yeah. So I made myself available to, for service through the union, through the BIPOC committee, through governance, through scholarship, through mentorship, to constantly, not just to get the, the industry players to understand, but from within our union, mm. our leadership, and our other members to understand why it's important and what are we doing to address it internally before we go start attacking the system. Yeah. Right. So like, how can we decolonize our mentorship plans, a program? How can we decolonize our scholarship uh, plans so that people feel included and they don't start taking non-union work? Because that's a huge thing. You know, people are a lot of BIPOC actors uh, falling through the cracks because they feel the union doesn't listen or doesn't, you know, ha are, are not on the same wavelength. So yeah. people take non-union work. Is it especially challenging to decolonize an industry that is mostly built on service work? He's nodding. Yeah. <laughs> and he points at me too. I mean, so. I have no words. <laughs> he has no I words. Have no words. Yeah. I mean, this woman, what can I say? Yeah. Like, I have no <laughs> words. Yeah. 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 Because we're not, we don't have a homegrown industry. We're not encouraging. Yeah. And even in service, there is work out there. Like, I just was a dialect coach on a show called Pradeeps of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I'm sorry. You're on a show called The Pradeeps of Pittsburgh? Yeah. 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 I need this show it's in hilarious. my life. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's written by a guy called Vijay Patel, who's a showrunner. He was on Blackish and lots of other things. Anyway. The Pradeeps uh, of Pittsburgh? Yeah, Pradeeps of Pittsburgh. Ah! And that could have easily come here. Yeah. But it did not. Why? It went to Toronto for whatever reason. Maybe the, that wasn't maybe there here. Was no room. Maybe there was no room for it to come here you know, because you're so busy. But, but and I'm going to go this way. Go. We put all our eggs in one basket. Hallmark. Hallmark and Hallmark. 
uh-huh. and lifetime. Mm-hmm. And as great as they are to pay our bills and our mortgages, we're not diversifying ourselves to be attractive to a product that we can be proud of beyond, like I did a Christmas movie last year. I know. And I had to justify to everyone I speak to, I have to say, it's not Hallmark. Mm. Like, why do why should I need to say that? Yeah. Right? Um, and, you know, God bless them. They've embraced change. And things well, that, slow, slowly. Yeah, that happened, but it was like a year of queer couple, interracial couple, you know, um, all kinds of different diverse Christmas movies. And now, where's that gone? Yeah. You know, they had one that my daughter was asked to audition for where she was a gifted pianist, she was black, she was adopted, and she was handicapped. Mm. Like, are we just, like, we look at the role breakdown, are you just checking sites? They're checking the boxes here? What? Yeah. Right? I mean, um, yeah, there's a lot to be gained by actually having your writers in in Vancouver as well, mm-hmm. writing stories that reflect who we are in yeah. all of our our beauty and how fucked up yeah. we are, yeah. you know. And we, like we we have our own special character here, and the projects that I love, I love are the ones that really hold up a mirror a mirror to who we are here. Which honestly. Jenna on crime yeah, did that as well yeah. you know from, from what i remember about that that was about that was you know there was you could see the the conflicts you know and and the character that's very specific to here we have something to offer but even our writers i mean no i mean i know we all have to survive but it and it comes down to the fact that we are service industry yeah get it on the head even our writers when they actually write these stories i don't see Diversity being front and center. I yeah. see how can I sell this project to a network being them prime Commerce focus. is front and center. Yeah, commerce yeah. is front and center, right? So some of our local writers also, you know, write to pander to their own career aspirations, mm. then thinking, okay, how can we make ourselves as an industry sustainable? Yeah. And diversity is what's going to make us sustainable. I mean, it really makes what Fab and, and Bilal have done even more impressive mm-hmm. and laudatory you know yeah. the fact that they because there was no other show no. like them well there were two actors working at the Targon theater in a play and they decided to go on this journey and they made a little reel and took it to jennifer and jennifer no they, they basically pitched the idea to jennifer and jennifer took it to cbc with a little reel they shot with that scene between mother and ah. in, in that reel i believe in the alley, so yeah. I understand. and you know then they got a commission right so and you can say, well, you know, BIPOC people can create their own work. Yes, we can. Yes, but most of the people having been involved in the union, I see younger back BIPOC actors are coming up. Other than some of the same faces who are having success with their careers, most have two or three jobs mm. to survive. Should not be this hard. Us, yeah. Right? So when do they have the luxury to perfect their craft? When do they have the luxury to pursue their dream project they want to create? Yeah. Right? We're going to do a little bit of time travel. Yeah. I'm going to go back to We're going to go back to to uh to your childhood. We're going to go back to you at 10 and 11 and 12. Um if you could go back in time to yourself at that age, 
and give yourself some, actually before advice, what do you think you at 10, 11, 12 would think of the life that you've built for yourself? I do a lot of child honoring in my own life. I'm constantly thinking about what myself as an 11 and 12 year old would think of the life that I have. And if she's not happy, then I need to make some improvements. It's, um, <clears throat> wow. I think a lot about where I've, where I've come from, where I've been and who I am. Mm. I don't dwell on it. Because to me, I guess, as that kid, what is most important was survival. Mm. And so sometimes I've failed to look at the landmarks and the achievements, and I take them for granted. Yeah. Just like that hero in those movies that I grew up watching. Yeah. You know, it's the world perceives a hero for their heroism, and I'm not in any way being like egotistical or putting myself on, a, on, on that kind of pedestal. But I don't dwell on what I've been able to achieve. I dwell on how can I be of service so the journey that I had is made easier for those that follow. Yeah. You know, um, um, at that age, would I have known that I would have uh, interest for food and wine and have this amazing journey with wine and be an adoptive parent and be, uh, you know, have worked in international film industry. No, I had no clue because I didn't have a plan. Yeah. And I guess that is one of the biggest survival skills in this industry is don't have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I see actors and they're like, you know, by this age, I must have this. And by this, I must have, I must now have a lead role in a series. Just hone in on your craft keep your head low so is that what you have control over then as your craft is your craft yeah. and and you your being your mental health yeah. your well-being and that's why i went on on facebook i went on facebook because a cousin forced me to she was moving from belgium to south africa and she said this is the only way we can keep touch uh <laughs> that's why i keep but, my facebook is reason, for a lot of family members the reason i am on instagram and i post what i post is not to show oh, look what a wonderful actor I am, but to show that I have, a, I'm trying to strive to live a balanced life. Yeah. In the summer, I'm in my garden, which is a small, tiny garden. It doesn't take much to grow, mm. you know, in, and I'm cooking every day to make sure there's food on the table for my family that I love. I, it's one way of displacing the harshness of this business. Mm. is live the fullest life you can and everything else will fall in place. It's funny, I worked with an actor last year who played my son in a TV, in, on, a, on, a, on a theater play. Uh, and uh, I was telling him this and he didn't quite understand it. And then I saw a little reel on Instagram about two weeks ago, Alan Rickman saying exactly the same fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I sent it to him <laughs> and he says, and he says to me, because he stayed with me, it was it was moving homes, and so there was a little transition. So he stayed in my house, and he said to me that Alan Rickman thing that was amazing, because he teaches at a film institution here, and he goes, I'm, I shared it with my students, 
and I swore at him in Bengali. Like, I told you that. I, I swore at him in Hindi, <laughs> and your dad will understand oh, this. Oh boy! I said, "Mother Chod." <laughs> he went there. I said, "You needed Alan Rickman to drive that home." <laughs> And that's what I mean about decolonizing. Yeah. You know, I went to a film festival in Edinburgh in 1979, and I no uh, 81, and I saw a, a, a Latin film filmmaker who talked about this, talked about tear down those posters of Dustin Hoffman and Al Pacino and you know Laurence Olivier, and put images of people who are activists mm. who are making the change. You know, to inform who you are and your journey, and that stayed with me. Yeah. And subconsciously, I must have done that. Yeah. You know. So yeah, it's like do your thing, lie low. The universe is there. It put you here, and it will guide you along this. If you if you fight against the current, you'll only drown. Mm. So just swim. If you can, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can can my father. Um, he can't swim either. Yeah. I grew up is that a cultural thing? Well, maybe. He doesn't like getting his hair wet, though. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> Mine is not my hair. It's my mother. Mm. So we grew up in Dar es Salaam, uh, which is on the Indian Ocean. Yeah. One of the warmest oceans in the world, mm -hmm. if I may say so. And before a year before I was born, my aunt had lost her husband who drowned in Malindi, which was a little further up in Kenya, oh, he, drowned. he drowned in a in a whirlpool in in the ocean, and so she was terrified of us getting anywhere near water. Yeah, no kidding. So we weren't allowed to even step into the ocean, like even to waddle or you know to basically yeah no no it was not allowed. Whoa. So I grew up with a fear of water, and I've tried to learn swimming. I've tried every possible way to try and overcome this trauma or fear not succeeding and then once an astrologer we haven't even touched on this oh my god an astrologer once told me <laughs> random person i went i ran into and he said he said you and ocean every time you see ocean you must bow your head and do namaste i said okay important i said okay <laughs> important <laughs> I feel very humbled by the ocean. Actually, when I've had experienced grief in my life, mm -hmm. I we, we go to the ocean and I scream at it. I feel a little better. Yeah. Derendra. Sabrina. My God. I I am so happy with this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you very much oh, for no, being thank, here. Thank you for asking. I Thank I, you for bringing as, wine as well. <laughs> as, I wrote, as I wrote in my email, I have no idea how this boy that left, the story of this boy that left it two pounds in his pocket could impact our industry or engage anyone who listens to your esteemed podcasts with these amazing luminaries that come here. And I'm just humbled and, and it's a privilege to be no, here. It's a to privilege to host you. Uh, I am such a fan of how you present yourself on social media. And let me give you a warning. If you follow Dorendra on social media, you're gonna get hungry because he posts some beautiful, honestly, the food you create looks beautiful. Your food photography is beautiful. Where can people find you, follow you, celebrate you on social media? 
on Instagram at the real Durendra. The real Durendra. The real Durendra. Yeah. Because if you go to IMDb, there's like 65 different Durendras. And so when I did Instagram, I went, okay, the real Durendra. The real, I'm, I'm the one. I'm T- the real one. T-H-E-R-E-A-L-D-H-I-R-E-N-D-R-A. And if you're on Facebook, it's Durendra Meanger, which is my full name. Um, yeah. Um, I've, I've been Durendra before Prince and Madonna. <laughs> so, you know. Icon. <laughs> and and you're on Twitter as well. Uh, yeah, but I'm not active on Twitter. No. Durendra I can acts. see how toxic. I, it's Durendra. I think it's at Durendra Act. Yes, you're Durendra Act. I'm not active because I see what a toxic place It's awful. Yeah. I got called a Nazi last week. Oh. It's awful I'm, because, you know, I'm Indian and Ukrainian. So I'm very yeah. active right now mm-hmm. in, in the I Ukrainian agree. anti-war movement. And, and yeah, and some Russian trolls came for me, called me a Nazi, that my grandmother was... Nazi. I'm like, I'm I'm the farthest from a Nazi. Yeah. But they were trying to derail the work that I've been doing mm-hmm. for Ukrainian orphans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, toxic. Mm-hmm. But I feel I get I'm gonna gonna stay on there yeah, for gotta, a little stay while course, longer. Right? Absolutely. And, uh, there's a story behind why I call myself Direndra as well and not my full name, but that's for another day. Oh, what a what a way to get people to come back for the next one, and you're going to come back for the next one because I want I want you back when we talk about your participation in the Rena Verk project. Yeah, it's called Under the Bridge. Under, oh my gosh, my heart! Even when you say yeah. that, um, if people want to read a little bit about uh, that story, that's R E E N A V I R K. You can read about that. But Direndra, thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing wine. It's my, <laughs> my privilege. It's just to keep us grounded at 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, it's wine o'clock somewhere. It is. I was after one yeah. night. Well, uh, namaste. Shukriya. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you. All right, listeners. <laughs> and Daddy G, thanks for listening. Okay, listeners, like, subscribe, leave us a review if you're so inclined to help us find even more listeners and we can keep having conversations like the one we had today. You can find us at yvrscreenscene.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at yvrscreenscene uh, and also at Sabrina Orf. That's Sabrina Ronnie. The Wire Screen Scene Podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, Sabrina Ronnie Mara Firminger. I'm the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Firminger. Special thanks to Mariana Firminger for creating our Patreon ad, to Paul Firminger for technical support, and to Dane, not Firminger, Devilay for the original music. Wire Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us. I love, I can hear Durendra eating his wasabi piece through my <laughs> I've earned them. <laughs> you absolutely have. All right, listeners, join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! Hey, filmmakers. Did you know that you can hire top quality, experienced, and professional actors for your films? If you're producing a student film for course credits, working on a web series, a short or a feature film, You can afford to have some of the best talent in the business in your production. How, you ask? Well, UBCP Actor has an ultra-low budget program, which offers a range of options that cover everything from student films to productions with a $300,000 budget. There is a ULB program that will meet your needs, regardless of your budget. To learn more, 
visit ubcpactor.ca and look for ultra-low budget programs. Or email ulbprogram at ubcpactra.ca. Now is the time to jumpstart your dream for the screen.